0: I don't know if uh, how many of you are involved watching the uh, news. I was uh, talking to Sam this uh, week about how it's difficult to know exactly how much to be involved. And if you do listen to the news, it was a disturbing week with lots of high-profile stories full of sad things. I think that what stood out to many of us was uh, the... Uh, state of new york 's passing the um, laws about abortion there for that state. It has been interesting reading about them and seeing really how there 's not that much new to them, which is even sadder uh, as, as as compared to what the Supreme Court already has but i 'm sure as you saw maybe on social media, pictures of People high-fiving and celebrating and turning the light on the Empire State Building pink as those laws were passed. I'm sure that brought many of you much sadness and and weight. There was a lesser publicized story this past week, although it also made some of the uh, Christian blogs. And it involves the uh, pop star named Lady Gaga. I'm sure that some of you have heard of her. I don't recommend you listening to her music or looking for any videos or pictures. Uh, um, From everything that you would see, you would know that she is not a Christian. But she she, she said this uh, about Mike Pence, which is very interesting, our vice president of the United States. Mike Pence's wife uh, recently went back to teach at a school that she had been previously teaching at for 12 years. It is a Christian school and it does have a policy about the, the beliefs and practices of its teachers, of its students, and families who, who, who send to the school. Well, Lady Gaga stops this concert to comment on Mike Pence's wife teaching at this Christian school. And so, in the middle of a concert, she says to Mike Pence, thinks it's acceptable that his wife work at a school that bans lgbtq which is interesting uh, uh the pastor of the church that hosts the school i went to to to, to 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 seminary with and he's like that's a very awkward way of saying that we there, there's all kinds of reasons people aren't allowed to come to our school or teach at our staff uh we would not simply say bans lgbtq but um but so, 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 so Lady Gaga continues, you say we should not discriminate against Christianity because everyone was up uh, in arms against his wife teaching at the school. So Lady Gaga continues, you are the worst, pre- worst representation of what it means to be a Christian. I am a Christian woman, she continues, and what I do know about Christianity is that we bear no prejudice and everybody is welcome. So you can take all that disgrace, Mr. Pence, and you can look yourself in the mirror and you'll find it right there it's very interesting to see a pop star using the middle of a concert to talk about Mike Pence and his wife and about disgrace and shame and LGBTQ. And maybe you're wondering, why am I talking about this? We see that social media, we see that the news is a powerful tool. There's a powerful platform to try to accomplish agendas. And one of the the, the most prominently used tools is shame. It's shame. As she talks about, you take that disgrace and you look in the mirror and you see that disgrace. She's trying to accomplish her agenda by using shame and disgrace. That's really what this morning's passage is about. It is about honor and about disgrace. The saints that Peter was writing to in 1 Peter were going through disgrace for their commitment to Jesus Christ. The question to begin this morning is, who do you desire honor from? And who do you fear disgrace from? We care whether we receive honor from men, even if we try not to. We know that honor from man is fleeting. We know that honors like trophies in a shelf gathering dust. We care about disgrace. We know that disgrace may last longer, but ultimately we know that disgrace like the honor is going to fade. But in contrast to honor and disgrace thrown about on social media that we receive from our peers whether in classes or at the workplace, only honor Or disgrace from God is eternal. The Apostle Paul is writing to these saints who are suffering disgrace for Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to 1 Peter 1. We're going to be in uh, chapter 2. I'm going to review from 1 Peter 1 and verses 13 uh, from chapter 1 to 2 3. Peter has instructed the saints in Asia Minor how they were to live as strangers and, and exiles. They they were clearly different from the world surrounding them. They once had followed the gods of their world, had participated in all the social customs of those around them, but they had gone through a change when they came to Jesus Christ. And now, and I'll reference them here in a minute, they're they're going through a fiery ordeal. They're going through trials for their commitment to Jesus Christ. Peter instructed them in verse 1 of chapter 13 that they were to have a different hope that they were to set their hope on the grace to be brought to them at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verses 14 to 16 of chapter 1, he commands them that they were to have a different passion, that they were to be holy instead of conforming to what their former lusts were. He told them how they were to have a different motivation than the world surrounding them. Instead of continuing in the futile ways of life that they had previously, that they were to live their lives in fear, knowing that they were going to be judged by God the Father. They were to have different relationships than those they previously had, that now they were brought into this brotherhood of believers, and they were to have a fervent love for the saints, we see in verses 22 of 25. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we saw last week that they were to have a different longing, that they were to long for the pure milk of God's word. So these were different people. They'd been changed when they came to Jesus Christ. They had different longings and different passions and different motivations and to have different relationships with one another. And because of all those differences, they were now living as exiles and living as strangers. And maybe you wonder, so they were different, but why was there such hostility? Why were they going through this Disgrace, And we're going to see that that was what they were going through. They were being disgraced for their commitment to Christ. And really, that's what Paul, Peter is going to answer next in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8. And the book will explore that further, but it's because of their union with Jesus Christ. From what we know, they were going through persecution as bad as it would be in the Roman world. The worst persecution under Nero hadn't started yet. And as far as we know, that, that was largely centralized in Rome. But from the book, we see that they were being slandered. They were being reviled. The, first Peter says that they were being maligned, that they were suffering for righteousness' sake. They were sharing in the sufferings of Christ. See, they were being shamed for their commitments to Christ. Their Facebook walls were full of ridicule because of what they said was right and wrong because they said that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God, because they had left their former ways of life. They were going through fiery trials. The more I think about it, I think that that's why in chapter two, verse one, which we looked at last time, they, uh, Peter commands them to put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Yes, these could be sins, that we participate in inside the body of Christ. But when you think about the persecution that they were going through, how tempting could have been to want revenge. And maybe if anyone has shamed you in a public way, any time of your life, whether in school, but even now in this current world of social media, when someone comes out publicly blasting you for your confession of Jesus Christ, you you may find You may rejoice that you can suffer for the sake of Christ, but you may also feel some fire in there, some desire to retort back. Maybe some of that turns into malice or slander. You can imagine that temptation they could have had for vengeance and payback as they were misrepresented, as they were lied about. They needed comfort. And what was their comfort going to be as they were disgraced for their allegiance to Jesus Christ, as they were mocked for the sins that they had left? So in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8, we're going to see this morning that Peter comforts the saints with the truth that those who believe in Christ will be honored by God, but those who fail to believe or who disbelieve will be ultimately disgraced. We're going to see that Peter comforts the saints with the truth that those who believe in Christ will be honored by God, but those who fail to believe will be ultimately disgraced. I'm going to go ahead and and I'll back up to chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll go ahead to verse 10. We'll we'll focus on verses 4 through 8 this morning. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for this is contained in scripture. a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time in your word and for the comfort uh, that Peter gives really because of our allegiance to Jesus Christ, because of our union with him. I pray, Father, that you give us wisdom with these words. For some of us in our experience since coming to Christ, our our lives have been filled with, uh, uh, I'd say, shame or, or attempted disgrace from a world who's been opposed to us. I know that some of us in our families have experienced that. Father, I know for some of us, uh, it is just a a gospel proclamation away that all we need to go is to someone concerned about about their sin and to point to Christ as the only way, and we too could join in being shamed and dishonored Father, I pray that you would help us to set our affections and our expectation for the vindication which comes from you when Christ is revealed, as this word promises honor. Lord, I pray that you would give us lots of wisdom as we listen to your word. Help me to explain it well. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to uh, look really at these, at these two points here. We're going to see the honor of those who believe. But then we're also going to see the disgrace of those who, who, who disbelieve or who do not believe. So let's first look at the honor of those who believe. And this was to give the saints comfort. This is really going to be a theme that Peter keeps developing in this letter. He kind of broaches it. But we're just upon it here. So our first point is that we're going to look at the honor of those who believe. We're going to see honor for God's people begins with their coming to Christ. Honor for God's people begins with their coming to Christ. We see that in the beginning of verse 4. And he describes the saints as coming to him, as coming to the Lord at the end of verse 3 that they have tasted the kindness of. And what a sweet phrase right there. Coming to him. Coming to Jesus. When we came to Christ was when we first tasted the kindness of the Lord. When we knew the peace of forgiveness. When we knew the joy of reconciliation. When we knew the relief of liberation. When we knew that God's justice has been satisfied. When we knew the comfort of God's grace. When we came to Christ for salvation. When we came putting our hope only in him. See, coming to Christ is the beginning of eternal honor. It is the beginning of eternal honor. Peter's already been talking about that to these saints who are going through shame for their commitment to Christ. In 1 Peter 1 verse 7, he talks about that, that, uh, the, the product of the testing of their faith so that the proof of your, the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That when Christ is revealed from heaven, that he would bring with him honor and glory and praise for his people who have been faithful to him. See, our final vindication will come from God himself. So when we talk about this honor for those who believe, it is for those who have come to Christ. And so the question is, have you come to Jesus Christ? Have you come to Jesus Christ? Have you come to him needy, knowing the weight of your sin, knowing that judgment is coming, knowing that you need forgiveness for your sins? Have you come to him desperate for mercy, knowing that he's the only one who can forgive you, the only one who could take the punishment for sins that you could never bear yourself? Have you come to him undeserving of grace? Have you come to him really confident of forgiveness, listening to him, placing all your hope in Jesus Christ? This is what it means to come to him. Or maybe you are here this morning knowing that you have already stiff-armed Christ, and that's been going on for a long time that you've been minimizing him, that you've been criticizing him, holding him at a distance, finding fault with him, finding fault with his requirements that you only come to salvation through him or that he is the only way? Or have you come to him knowing that he is the only way, the only truth and the only life? God will not honor the one who dismisses the salvation that he has prepared. That is what Jesus Christ is, the salvation for sinners that God has prepared. He honors those who believe, and those who believe come to him. Honor for God's people is also the result of their union with Christ. Honor for God's people is the result of their union with Christ. And I believe that this is what Peter's getting to in verses four and five. He says, and coming to him as to a living stone. And I know that there, there's a lot going on in these verses. Coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones. And we have to ask ourselves, why is Peter going here now? And it's going to become clear as we get into to verse 7. He's building up to the a point that those who believe in Christ are honored. But now he's talking about why we go through disgrace. We see in the middle of verse 4, he describes him as a loving stone. And in the uh, verses 6, 7, and 8, Peter's going to quote from three different Old Testament passages, two from Isaiah and one from Psalms, and they're all linked together by this image of a stone and where we put our confidence and our hope. In verse 4, Peter jumps ahead of quoting those three verses and summarizes the teaching of those verses. He summarizes that this teaching of verses, in verses 6, 7, and 8 through these three Old Testament uh, psalm and then two from Isaiah, it, these three Old Testament references. The teaching is, in verse 4, that Christ is a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God. A stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God. So Peter adds to this image that comes from these three Old Testament texts where it describes a stone. He puts the living stone in front of it. Now that's not in any of those Old Testament references. Peter's bringing out that Jesus Christ is alive. Perhaps in contrast to the idols of the nations, made of stone. Jesus is the living stone. He's not just an object of our faith. He's not a cabal, that, that giant black box in Saudi Arabia to be marched around like millions of Muslims do during the Hajj. He's not just an object of our faith. He's not a founder in some grave whose molecules have dissipated and become part of the earth. Jesus is the living stone. He is alive now. And Peter says, because we have come to him as the living stone, we have become united to him through faith, we have become living stones. So he is the living stone, and we've become living stones through our union with him. We see that phrase in the beginning of verse 5, you also as living stones. He is the living stone, we've been connected to him, and we've become living stones because of our connection with him, and he's going to build a picture here. Because we are unified with him through faith, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, our life is dependent upon his life. Now, Peter's going to expand upon the honor that's involved in our being living stones. We're going to see that next. But first, Peter focuses on Christ's experience of disgrace and his experience of honor. He says that he was rejected by men, and the peak of that rejection was when he was crucified. He was rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. That word precious, it's it's kind of an interesting word, right? Maybe if you use precious, you use it for a small child or a cute animal. It's it's kind of becoming a little bit of an outdated word. It's it's a word that you could translate as, as valuable or honored. Choice, chosen and honored in the sight of God. Chosen and valuable chosen and precious. This vindication of Christ, he was rejected and killed, but his vindication occurred at his resurrection, and it occurs at his exaltation, and it will continue at his return when he is exalted on earth. That is how Jesus received honor, by being resurrected. So because Jesus was this, this living stone, Jesus, because he was rejected by men, but honored by God, we should not be surprised if we go through rejection along with him. See, our union with him is a source of our rejection in this world. Now, it's true. We can talk about many ways we can be dishonored. We can be rejected for saying many things in many foolish ways. We can be rejected because we are rude. We can be rejected because we are proud. We're talking about not what we do, how we sin and bring shame upon ourselves. We're talking about the shame we have because of our union with Jesus Christ. Our union with him is the source of our rejection from the world, but it's also in Christ that we are chosen and precious in the sight of God. Our honor comes from our union with him as well our future vindication which may never happen in this world you as a saint may be dishonored and shamed by your family by your commitment to for your commitment to Christ your whole life you may never hear any of your friends say you were right for following Christ this vindication will ultimately come from god and the return of christ It comes because we are linked to Jesus Christ. He is the living stone and we are linked to him as living stones. We participate in his life, in his rejection and his honor. So the question is, have you been rejected for your union with Jesus Christ? Now, that shouldn't be our goal. It's like, I'm going to go out and get some rejection. But you might be shying away from truth so that you're not rejected. Have you? Have you been rejected for your submission to Jesus' moral authority and his lordship? That he gets to say what is right and wrong in this world? Have you been rejected for your confession? Something Jesus spoke much about and why he came to take the wrath of sins, that sins deserve judgment. Have you been rejected for your proclamation that Jesus is the only way, way to salvation? I once heard D.A. Carson speak, and he says, this is why persecution happens. For saying that people sin, for calling sin, sin. For saying that sinners deserve hell. And for saying that Jesus is the only way to escape hell. If you say those three things in the most loving way you can, you will experience rejection. Rejection. You will be disgraced. Say those things in public media and see what happens. Unless you, unless you, you only have Christian friends. That's where shame comes from often. So we have to ask ourselves: Are you being disloyal to Christ? Are you holding back the hope of the gospel? Are you in by your not saying? Are are you in a sense closing the door? for people coming to Jesus because you are afraid of shame? Are you afraid of the rejection that Christ experienced? Are you seeking fleeting acceptance from the world instead of waiting for eternal honor from God? We see the honor for those who believe it begins with a coming to Christ as the result of our union with Christ. It is given by God in this life as we worship him. It's true that that ultimately will receive honor when we are vindicated at the return of Christ. But there's honor in this life too. And I think that that's, this is where Peter goes next. He wants to show them that the, really the glory of being a Christian, of belonging to Christ. Verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's going on right now. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus builds upon this picture of Jesus as the cornerstone. And if you know anything about masonry, not that I do, but Wikipedia is always useful. Cornerstone is the first stone set in a structure when you're building with stones. And it's important that center stone at the corner, since all the other stones are going to be set in reference, Wikipedia says, to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Now, I know lots of you do masonry in your everyday life, but maybe you play with Legos. I do do some of that with my girls. And you know, when you're building Legos from an instruction set, If you mess the instruction, you don't count the number of little obscure dots, and you get that off, the whole whole structure is going to be out of whack, right? You have to follow what that first piece is. That first Lego is the cornerstone of that whole thing that you're building. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the living stone, and when we are united to him, we become part of this structure that God is building. It says, are being built up as a spiritual house. It's passive there. God is doing this building up into a spiritual house. That spiritual house is referencing language from the Old Testament. It's also used in the New Testament referring to a temple. We are being built into a temple, right? We, the saints, are where God is worshiped. We are being built up into a spiritual house, and there's a purpose for that, for a holy priesthood. Now, the focus here isn't on us as individual priests, but the, but, but, but the worship that we bring together to God as holy priesthood. Holy, meaning that we are separate from the world. We are separate and from that list in 2 verse 1, among many other things of malice and envy and hypocrisy and slander. We're holy in the sense that we are set apart to this ministry, of bringing spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. These sacrifices only through the Holy Spirit, these sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, these aren't sacrifices of atonement. These are not sacrifices. Of course, they're not animal sacrifices. They're not anything we're doing to atone for our sins. Peter says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. These sacrifices are brought to God through Jesus Christ. He has already done the work of atonement, the work of cleansing, so that we can bring God-pleasing sacrifices to him. These are spiritual sacrifices. I'm not sure that Peter means that this is only accomplished through the Holy Spirit. We know that's true, and maybe that's what he means there by having them as spiritual sacrifices. Peter doesn't put a fence around what kind of sacrifices these are. We could think a little bit about these sacrifices from other New Testament texts, like in Romans 12.1. We've studied this in care groups in the past. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's one thing. With our bodies, with all of the faculties that God has given us, with our minds, with our ears, with our eyes, everything that we are, all that can be utilized as a spiritual act of worship, as a spiritual sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16 is another place where it talks about sacrifice. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So there it is a sacrifice of praise, giving thanks. Verse 16, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. These are the sacrifices of saints. It's doing good. It is sharing. It is thanking God. It is praising him. It is singing. It is praying for the saints. It's pleading for his kingdom to come. It's the time that we spend hearing his word. It's the time we spend showing fervent love for one another. It's the time we spend parenting according to the principles of God's word. It's rejecting what is inappropriate to his presence. It is getting away from what God hates and bringing into our lives what is pleasing to him. It's time spent proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 16, Paul describes his ministry to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's it's really amazing the amount of language that is very similar there in what Paul says. Romans 15, 16, he's administering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable. He's saying as people are saved, they become an acceptable offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what spiritual offerings are you bringing? Is your life one of worship? And Peter's point here is because he's talking about The honor that they receive in this life of being unified with Christ. That we, the saints, are God's temple. That we are his priesthood, bringing offerings pleasing to him. What a privilege. I mean, just imagine these these saints Peter's writing to. The majority of them a Gentile audience who had spent their lives worshiping idols. And all of those sacrifices they brought to those idols, those false gods who were empty and vain, all the sacrifices they brought were empty and vain. They accomplished nothing. But now, because of their union with the living stone, they are able to bring God all kinds of acts of worship. And they're valuable and they're honorable and their lives are not wasted. It's a great question to ask yourself. So what are you sacrificing for? Right? What a privilege to be part of God's, help, to, be, to be bringing all these sacrifices of praying and worship and proclaiming the gospel and ministering to one another. What an honor. In many, in many different, lo, 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 in different locations around the country, people honor those who have passed away by perching some kind of, of a c- c- commemorative brick that's placed in a walkway. They, 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 they used to, to, to do it at, at, at Disneyland. They do it at, at, at the World War II Museum. You, you can remember someone who served in World War II by purchasing one of these bricks, right? That's a way to honor them. We are as living stones unified to Jesus Christ with the price of his blood to be made part of his temple. What a privilege we could never deserve. What an honor we have to worship. I mean, at this point we could probably end, right? Who cares what the world thinks about our worship? We are serving the living God. But Peter knows that we're going through shame in this world that we are disgraced for our commitment to Jesus Christ. And so he goes on. He talks about the honor for God's people is guaranteed by God in his word. Honor for God's people is guaranteed by God in his word. Beginning in verse six, we see that, that Peter starts launching into some of the scripture there. He says, for this is contained in scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. When he's quoting there at the end of, of verse 6, he's quoting from Isaiah 28:16, and that word, disappointed could also be translated as you will, uh, the one who believes in him will not be put to shame, will not be disgraced. Even if you're experiencing that in this life, ultimately, you will not be put to shame. You will not be disgraced. Disappointment comes from putting your hope in something that is vain. You, you can imagine that, 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 that your financial person, I don't know what those are called, Probably a bad sign. But your financial person recommends there's this amazing stock, and you've got to invest everything that you have. Sell absolutely everything to invest in this stock. But you turn out, you were swindled, and it was a fake company. And, and, and you put all that money into this, this, this thing that doesn't even exist. That is disappointment. That is being put to shame. That is being disgraced. You say it gave up everything because you believed in this thing. And that's what Peter quoting from Isaiah saying, this will not happen. That those who put their confidence in God and place their confidence in his son will not be disappointed. You can risk all and there's no risk. It is guaranteed. There is no ultimate shame for God's people, only vindication. See, God has a stake in honoring those who honor him. And those who believe in him. There's no lasting shame for those who hope in God's promises as centered in God's Son. God has chosen Christ. He is the precious cornerstone. He is the honored, the valued cornerstone. And that is what it means when it says precious there, honored and valued. Any disgrace we receive is in this life only. The world's frown is a passing cloud. It's a sound bite that's going to be forgotten. Even if you live your days out in a jail cell, it's nothing compared to eternity. So then Peter applies, and this is what he's been building up to in the beginning of verse 7. This precious value, then, is for you who Who believe. And precious value is an interesting way to to translate that. As long as you know it just means honor. It's a word that's often translated honor. ESV has honor. I like it because it does say, it shows what honor is. Honoring is the recognition of value. And Peter's promising that, that that being valued, that being honored by God is for you who believe. It is God's appraisal that matters. It is his evaluation that's flawless. But it requires your belief, your submission, your trust. You investing all you have in his promises. And brothers and sisters, that's what salvation is. It is selling all so that you can gain Christ. It is putting all your hope in him. And you will not be disappointed. No matter what disgrace you are suffering now, what disgrace you could suffer if you opened your mouth and told the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the disgrace is for those who disbelieve. The disgrace is for those who disbelieve. So we looked first at the honor of those who believe, and now it's the disgrace of those who believe. Disbelieve, And this is the contrast that Peter is building here. Those who, who, who disbelieve will be disgraced because they foolishly underestimated Christ. Because we know that there is going to be a final judgment. And there will be eternal disgrace for those who choose poorly. They will be disgraced because they foolishly underestimate Christ. That's the middle of verse 7. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve or those who don't believe, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. He's quoting from Psalm 118, verse 22. This is a verse that Jesus quoted from Psalm 118 in Matthew 21, 33 to 44. And there it's the the, the parable of, of the vineyard. He was talking about how Jesus was talking about how the builders of Israel, those who should have known better, the leaders rejected him. Even though Christ was rejected by Israel, even though he's rejected by the world today, Christ has become the cornerstone. He is that living stone, the beginning and most important part of the whole structure, of which the rest is built around. So any who devalue this importance of Christ, this one who has become the cornerstone, if they reject him, they face eternal disgrace for not believing. There is no honor in disvaluing something. Now, maybe... Someone among his friends could look cool if they were like, I'm I've got so much money, and he stands there tearing up some dollar bills. Right? Okay, I mean, well, look at him, he's kind of cool, right? Not really, we think he's a fool. When he starts tearing up hundred dollar bills, like, whoa, thousand dollar bills, this guy has a problem. He's foolish. He's disvaluing what's important. Imagine someone owning a priceless artifact and smashing it. Someone flushing diamonds down the toilet. It's so foolish. You're like, no one would do that. But that is what rejecting Christ is. It is the ultimate shame. Taking what is the most valuable in the universe and rejecting it. There's no honor in rejecting what is valuable. So what disgrace of those who foolishly undervalue Christ, who reject the one who is the cornerstone. Those who disbelieve are are disgraced because they foolishly underestimate Christ. They also be disgraced because they find Christ offensive. They'll be disgraced because they find Christ offensive. We see that in the beginning of verse 8. That to them, Christ is... Not the cornerstone, not valued and precious and honored, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And Peter here is quoting from Isaiah 8, verse 14. He says, Then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel, stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. See, the problem isn't with Jesus, but the world's response to him. They stumble over him. When they hear Christ, when they hear his, his declarations of who he is, when they hear his commands, when they listen to his warnings, when they hear his, his evaluations of what is right and wrong, they stumble and are tripped up. When Lady, when Lady Gaga talks about being Christian, she is not listening to the Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible is a stumbling stone to her. They are offended by his authority and they ignore his warnings. Why is it that people are okay being warned and they're okay taking instructions except when it matters the most? Now, some of you who are raising children say that's not true of my child. Like they take offense at all kinds of things. But in general people go to the internet to find out how to do all kinds of things. They'll ask people that they don't know how to raise their children. Right? They'll take advice from all kinds of sources. Just not Jesus Christ. And that would be me if it weren't from God's grace. It would be all of us if it weren't for God's grace. I mean, if you think about it, a stop sign is not offensive. right? People aren't offended by a stop sign. Sometimes they drive like they are, but they're not inherently offensive. I mean, that stop sign... It's just there to keep them safe, at least other people. A warning of poison on a bottle is not something you stumble over. Well, I'm glad I shouldn't drink that. Instructions to build furniture from Ikea are moderately offensive, but not deep down offensive, right? We're not offended that they gave us instructions how to build this, but I'm an individual. I've got freedom. I want to build this Ikea thing on my own without any instructions. That's how the world acts, with God and his authority and his word. A doctor's instructions regarding good health are not inherently offensive. Maybe some of you doctors have experienced that. But even that shows in itself a problem with people. Jesus is offensive to a lost world because he is the authority who commands submission. Because he warns of judgment and because he points to only himself as the only hope. So if you don't submit to Jesus Christ, you will stumble over him. It's not that Jesus is a trap. It's your response. It's, it's revealing what's inside your heart. There's no neutral response to Christ. Imagine for, for a minute a bridge over a massive canyon. Okay, a bridge over a massive canyon. And imagine for a minute, you're being chased by all kinds of ferocious animals. If you don't take that bridge, you're guaranteed death. If you jump, you're going to die. If you stay, you're going to be mauled to death by these animals. Is there anything offensive about that bridge? Is there anything inherently that would make you stumble over that bridge? The bridge is the way of salvation. Unless... You choose to be repulsed by it unless you're offended by its merely existence. That's why people stumble over Christ, because he is the only way. You could reject that bridge because it's the only way. I'm going to go find my own way. That's why people stumble over Christ. You could reject that bridge because admitting, going over that bridge would admit that you have a need, that you can't save yourself. That's why people stumble over Christ. You could reject that bridge because it it makes you uncomfortable. It reminds you that there's wild animals who are going to maul you. (coughs) That you're in danger. That's why some people stumble over Christ. You could reject it because it's not big enough to hold you and all your stuff all your possessions, all your prestige, all your honor, all your desires and dreams. You have to give up all that to go across. That's why some people stumble over Christ because he's the authority. Jesus is either a rock of refuge or a stone that will trip you up. He's the bridge that you will either submit to or be offended by. Those who ultimately are gonna be disgraced, those who disbelieve will be disgraced because they foolishly underestimate Christ, because they find Christ offensive. And Peter explains why, because they are disobedient. And here's the real problem. They are disobedient. We see that in the middle of verse 8. They are disobedient to the word. Here's the real reason why anyone rejects Christ. See, the gospel requires repentance and belief. It's not because Jesus is offensive. It's because they are disobedient. The gospel is God's command to all people everywhere to repent and turn to Christ. Christ. But they don't cross that bridge of salvation because he's, and I know the metaphor is going to get messed up there. He's saying, cross, cross, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And they say, no. And why? Because they are disobedient. They will not submit, though the way is open. They have not lived in obedience and they choose to die in disobedience. So if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, don't die in disobedience. Obey Jesus Christ. Come to him to be saved. See, eventually, those who refuse to submit are going to experience the disgrace of not obeying, of not submitting to God in the gospel and the promises there. Those who don't have Christ hate the gospel because it's the only way They'd be okay if it were just an option. All we have to say is, oh, it's one among many ways, and they don't hate it anymore. But when it's the only way, the disobedience in them is riled. And and that's why Peter's audience was going through suffering. And that's why if you are vocal with the gospel, you will go through suffering too, because they are disobedient to the word. Peter ends in a comforting way, but a hard way. Those who, dis, who, who, who disbelieve, they will be disgraced in accordance with God's plan. This is sobering, in accordance with God's plan. We see that at the end of verse 8. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. That's why they stumble. And to this doom they were also appointed. And you, and, 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 and you see in your New American Standard Bible, the doom is italic, because so it's not there. And to this they were also appointed. In your ESV Bible, it says, as they were destined to do. Peter doesn't explain how God is righteous and yet appoints those who will disobey and reject his son. We are going into deep waters there. We know that any who disobeys does so according to their nature. They do exactly what they wish. They are commanded to cross over, but they would rather be independent. They would rather jump off the cliff or be torn apart by wild animals. They would rather suffer hell. Then, then submit. And in so doing, they are playing a sobering part in God's unfolding drama of how he brings glory to himself. Peter talked about something similar in his sermon at Pentecost. In Acts 2, verse 23, he talks about Jesus. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So he says he's delivered over by that predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It was God's predetermined plan. It was God's choosing for Christ to be sacrificed. But then he says, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. You put him to death. God has determined this, but you have acted it out. And that is what is going on in this verse. They are acting out their disobedience, but that is done according to God's plan. Those who reject Christ do not wish that they could value Christ. They don't say, oh, I wish I could find him as beautiful. I wish I could honor him. They are disobedient. They they, they refuse him. They reject him. And so because of that, eternal disgrace is coming. And that same disgrace would be coming upon every one of us here today if it weren't that God had appointed us to believe, that God had appointed us to escape our disobedience, that he would work in our hearts, that we would obey Jesus Christ. What honor for us who believe we never deserve that. So Peter is going to explain further In verses nine and ten, really rich verses about God's honor to those who believe, to the privilege of being God's people, and Lord willing, we'll look at that next week. So, question for you here this morning is: Are you one who has believed? Are you one who has obeyed Jesus Christ? Are you willing to suffer shame with Christ? Are you confident of vindication at his return? Do you know that this life is passing? Are you looking forward to that eternal honor in his presence when he says, well done, good and faithful servant? Not because of anything you have done, but because you are joined with Christ, because you have put your faith in him, because you have been made a living stone linked to him, the living stone. Or, Are you one of those who are offended by Christ? Offended by his authority? Offended by his command to come and be saved? Will you trip over Christ the cornerstone or will you be joined to him? The world is acting up. We know that in America. It is experiencing it in more vibrant ways than other parts of the world. We see that in China. The world is seeking to shame Christians into abandoning the authoritative Christ of Scriptures, seeking to bring disgrace upon them. Really, I think that they know it is the most powerful tool that they have. To get someone to back down is publicly shaming them. But there is honor for those who believe. There's honor for those who believe. Let's pray. Father, um, by your grace, I wanted to uh, trace well Peter's flow of thought here. I know that the this book and the, the audience he was going through is, is is the audience he was writing to has a lot of suffering. They were going through suffering, and they were experiencing shame and disgrace, being maligned about. And Peter, Peter wanted them to know that it was temporary, and that those who believe are honored, but those who disobey are disgraced. Father, protect there from being any sense of pride in anything that is said here, Lord. Any of us who are saved testify that it is only by your grace, that it's only by your grace we have wholeheartedly believed, Lord, that we have put our faith in your Son, that we have recognized him as the most valuable, the most honored in all the universe, that we have given up all to follow him, Lord, that it's only because of your grace you chose and honored your son and you've chosen and honored us who believe father i do pray that you would encourage us lord father protect us from having a temporal mindset lord father some of us may actually be concerned about what is said about us on social media lord we are concerned about what our coworkers may say or our classmates Father, we do want to say whatever we do in a loving way. Peter talks about that later, Lord. But Father, help us not to shirk away because of shame, because of fearing disgrace in this life. Lord, help us to have an eternal mindset. Help us to long for the vindication that comes at Christ's return. Help us to wait for the honor that comes from Jesus Christ to put all of our hope in him. Lord, Father, this is real what is going on here this morning. There are quite possibly those who sit in disobedience and maybe refuse to follow Christ because of the potential shame of doing so. I pray, Lord, that you would grant them repentance. I pray, Father, that they would see the goodness of Christ, that they would see his command to come to him as as a blessing, Lord that they would see his authority as a good thing, that they would see your grace in commanding people to come to him. Oh, Lord, and may you break through the disobedience of their heart and appoint them. We know that there's this mystery here in eternal life. Lord, it's how I pray for my kids, Lord. May they be chosen by you. I've got nothing else to pray for, Lord, that you would grant them grace. So please, Father, do that here for those who don't know you. Lord, these are uh, uh, heavy mysteries, Lord. We're talking about eternal honor, eternal disgrace. We're talking about what you appoint. We're talking about your plan to let your son be disgraced and then to bring him honor. Father, your economy is not like ours. Um, Ours is often so simple. Avoid shame. And pray, Father, that you would help us to be faithful to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, which will save those who obey. In Jesus' name, amen.